Hello and welcome back to our podcast. Very glad that you've joined us. Uh, Ken's not with us today, but I am. Uh, my name's Cameron, and looking forward to today's discussion particularly. And I'm Luke, and uh, I agree with Cam. And I'm Lachlan. Now, the um, the SDA quarterly is moving on through Genesis into the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph is only given, what, uh, three lessons, or two two topics, really, the story of Joseph in, in the quarter, which is unusual given that the story of Joseph is about a, what is it, about a quarter of the of the entire book of Genesis. Yeah, it's, it's going to be close to that, yeah. Uh, we're going to make it even longer still by not starting with, with what the book identifies as the start of the story of Joseph, but uh, several chapters earlier. A few chapters, in fact, before what we were discussing last week, we're going to go look at some of the family dynamics in uh, Jacob's household and the circumstances of, of Joseph's birth. So we're going to read... Oh, and just a, just a, a, oh, just a quick comment on that as well, Cam. I want to I get it in right now before I forget because you remind me. The fact that we're jumping four chapters earlier means that, um, and this is, I suppose, a postscript to last week's episode, Joseph was a witness to the events oh. that took place in Genesis 34. He would have been alive at the time. Continue. It's amazing then, isn't it, that he provoked his brothers if he knew them to be the sorts of people that would <laughs> that would go around with swords and demolish whole cities. He, he, he did seem to be courting mm. danger yeah. there, yes. Mm. Okay, well, let's start reading Genesis 30. Um, I'll kick off, and I'm reading from... I was going to read from the message, but I might switch to something a bit more uh, literal, the ESV. Uh, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And then she said, Here's my servant, Billa, go in to her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Billa as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Billa conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged me, and has heard my voice, and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Billa conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestling I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. She named him Zebulun, for she said, God has given me a good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect, for I have given him six sons. Later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dina. 
Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said. And she named him Joseph, for she said, May the Lord add yet another son to my family. Holy dooly. (laughs) (laughs) There's... There's certainly something less familiar about this story, isn't there? And you can sort of see why it's not one of the more common um, sermon topics. It doesn't get mentioned at all, really, does it? Yeah. Okay, so if we're going to... And yet, what we're what we're reading here is the genesis of the 12 tribes of Israel. Oh, absolutely. This is how the 12 tribes of Israel were, were formed. More remarkable than that, I think, is we're reading the story, the form, the, the account of the 12 tribes of Israel recorded by the 12 tribes of Israel. You can understand a somewhat messy, not so neat, not so smooth origin story if it's being documented by a modern, impartial journalist or historian. It's very difficult to understand what's going on here when this is the story as recorded in the culture of the descendants themselves. I guess what I'm doing there is I'm I'm assuming that this feels like a slightly negative origin story a slightly messed up version of the family dynamic well, but, but but as you say Lachlan, that's that's our immediate perception of it that's clearly not uh an issue for them uh, i had a couple of thoughts one of them is when is this story appearing on netflix as a as a <laughs> ongoing serial drama as a reality as a reality show. show what a show this is a reality tv show in this uh. This is the real housewives of Israel. Yeah. I mean, wealthy women squabbling over their wealthier husband's attention. Mm. It's, uh, it's all there. Um, <laughs> Next is, who in this story does stuff? Uh, what does God do? Well, actually, that was something that I was wondering. That could even be the answer to my earlier comment about this being a somewhat negative feeling origin story. Maybe it's not, because if you if you look at it, God is the one who answers Rachel's plight at the end of the story and enables her to have children. And that is remarkable because in verse 2, Jacob has asserted, he got angry with Rachel and said, am I God? He's the one who's kept now, me from having children. So the story is in fact bookended. With a with a statement about I know, God's I know what about isn't it God who gives Leah children when now uh, in the previous chapter? Yes, verse seventeen. It's not the previous chapter. We just read it. <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> God does two things in these verses. One is he gives Leah a, a fifth son, uh, and the second one is yeah. that he gives. Isn't there Rachel, something in? Uh, the, Isn't there son. something in the previous chapter after it says that Jacob? I don't. I've turned off my hotspot now, so I can't check. But there, there might can you, be. Can you? One of you guys go back and check the, the when it says that. Ra- oh yes, you're, Jacob you're loved right. Rachel but despised Leah or something. And then there's some. Can you read it, Luke? Yes. Um, so starting from uh, Genesis 29 verse 30. Um, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Hmm. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. 
Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Right. So we actually... So it's really it's really the... Yeah. Uh, th- Genesis 30 is just a continuation. It's a continuation. Right. We, we actually jumped of, in partway uh, through. We, we jumped in after the pilot episode. God, God's... God, yes. So God's action is simply, it's inferred that he does withhold children from Rachel and, and specifically gives Leah children because she is despised by her husband. Yes, and that is extremely problematic because God withholds children from Rachel because Jacob doesn't love Leah, mm. not because Rachel has done anything wrong. Well, it, okay, <laughs> while we're on the subject of people doing things... Although, it, I mean, you could imply or infer all sorts of yeah. things. But that's a, well. We need to get onto that. So that, that's what God does. What do Rachel and Leah do in this story? One of the things they do is they name their kids. Jacob doesn't seem to be involved in mm-hmm. that process, which is interesting. Um, they mm-hmm. each this is competitive childbearing, and they each cheat. Yeah. They use one of their one of their servants, and the servants don't get a voice at all in this story. Rachel no, says Rachel says no. now God has given me a son. Yeah, they don't get to keep their own kids either. The children immediately go to the mm. to Rachel and Leah. So much so that as we remember the story uh, as as you know good Christians, uh, we actually we acknowledge that Jacob um was polygamous with two wives, but certainly I until just recently the last few weeks when we already anticipated this detail about Jacob's mm. family. Um, I just didn't even realize that half a, a third of yes. the tribes of Israel actually came from these maidservants. And Lachlan, if you want to feel really, really uncomfortable about that assumption, uh, go and read The Handmaid's Tale. Right. <laughs> if you yeah. haven't already. Yeah. Um, which puts this particular practice that is referred to in this chapter in a modern context and shows you just how horrific and abusive it is morally speaking um but particularly from the perspective of the woman who is the servant who essentially has a child that gets taken away from them yeah i mean i can i can understand a lot of trauma there i I think it has to be acknowledged that it it occur it it appears to me that it while it may not it may have moral complications it appears to me that it is at least legal in the context that we're reading here, it, it, there's, there's, oh, you said Cam that they both cheated in their competitive childbearing, and I know what you meant, but they, they're doing something that that appears to be perfectly within the rules of society. I, look, I'll go a step further and say that it appears to be moral to the author of the story as well. Remember last week in chapter thirty-four, the author of the story went out of their way to state that um, what Shechem had done to Dinah was a bad thing, mm. something which was not done in Israel. Nothing of the kind is is stated in, in this chapter. Mm. What does Jacob do in this story? All Jacob does in this story is sleep with whoever his wives tell him to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, not wrong. Even to the point between the... I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like I have a great window into polygamous dynamics, but... It just feels a little bit weird when Rachel, in verse 15, Rachel answered, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight. And then, you know, 
How is Rachel the one who gets to make that call? Okay, no, I'm... Well, because Jacob prefers her. Yeah, fair enough. She's the favourite. Okay, that's probably... Yeah, right. And she... To my reading, it's implied here that um, Rachel is rather enjoying making Leah pay Mm. for the privilege of, of having a chance of bearing more children to her husband. Just pretty dysfunctional. Also considering that they were sisters. Yeah. I mean, they are sisters. And Leah goes out and says, you you must come in to me for I have yeah. hired you. Now, that's the point where Jacob says, hang on, hold on a minute. I'm not going to be bought and sold. Yeah. Um, and, and consider that in the context of Chapter 34 as well, hmm. where Simeon and Levi. Reuben, I think, oh, Levi, yeah, um, say our sister is not a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yes. And then, and then, how about this? In verse eighteen, Leah says, "God has given me my wages." This is after she, after she's had children and stopped having kids, and then she has a another son, and she said, "God has given me my wages." <laughs> God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So obviously, she's saying because I did this excellent thing. Where I gave mm. my servant to my husband, mm. God is so chuffed with that that He's decided to give me another son as well. Exactly. The New Living Translation mm. renders that God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my yes. husband as a wife. I, I find it quite sad that in verse twenty, Leah is still saying, "My husband will now. My husband will honor me because I've borne him six yeah. sons." Which is what she was saying after she bore him two, one son and two sons and three sons mm. in the previous chapter, and it clearly uh, didn't happen. And it just seems like it maybe it never happened because the number doesn't seem quite relevant. The, well, this mm. is this is the thing, especially considering the way Joseph and Benjamin. Are it's treated, not just uh, later on. Luke, it's not just it's not just Leah who is not satisfied by increasing numbers. It's Rachel, because what's the first thing she says after naming Joseph in verse 24? Yeah, she wants She says, may the Lord add to me another son. Um, There is something about this dynamics which reminds me of a social media influencer. Um, (laughs) And and I first picked it up in verse 13 where Leah said, after she's had uh, a second son for Jacob, she says, happy am I. Why is she happy? Because other people are saying that I'm happy. Mm. They're talking about me mm. and they're saying that I must be really lucky and really happy. So obviously I'm happy. There's something in that. I mean, can't she just be happy because she loves the child? That 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 doesn't come into it at all in the story. There's no mention whatsoever of anybody caring about any of these kids with particular regard, which is not to say they didn't, just it's not in the story, until uh, many chapters later when we get to, um, you know, uh, what what Jacob thought about Joseph and Benjamin. And even then, that was was because of he loved their mother. And and the story is capable of doing it because it's several times in the story of Abraham. Um, Abraham expresses... Uh, you know, love for Ishmael. Can't oh God, can't Ishmael live in your son? And and Hagar expresses love for her child um, mm. in very poignant ways. So mm. so it is it is uh, one speculates, and I'm going off script now. 
in terms of off, out, outside the text. But these, this is a large household with lots of servants. I wonder if, in fact, the children were taken off the maidservants or whether the maidservants were made to do all the work. Um, you know, how involved were the mothers with their children? Uh, the, it's not even really implied, but it's consistent with what's written here that uh, maybe they were just, you know, desperate to wean the child, get pregnant again. Right. Right. Do you know they, they claimed them, but they didn't actually do the. Well, it's possible. After. But I think that's kind of that's kind of how, as I understand, it's kind of how maidservant worked. Anyway, their job was to help raise the, the their, you know, the role of maidservant mm. hasn't changed much in that regard. Um, mm. We just call them nannies mm. now, or au pairs, or mm. what have you. There's a there's a fascinating detail in here. One of you already just referred to the fact that Rachel later in the story does in fact die in childbirth. There's a very poignant preemptive comment here in the first verse here of chapter 30. Rachel saw she's not having any children. She becomes jealous of her sister and she pleads with Jacob, give me children. Right, that's the plea. But notice what it says. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Mm. And then... Yes. Yeah. You know. That does seem to be a sort of dramatic irony. What I was just wondering about is there is Dinah is mentioned here, so we know when she was born and to which mother hmm. and and what order she comes relative to uh, everyone else. Um, do we think Dinah is the only girl born to these four women um, or is she only mentioned because of what happens in 34? Yeah, I suspect that she's not the only daughter, but she's the only famous daughter. Um, that, that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. Hey, Cam, your phrase, competitive childbearing, has really sparked a, a perverse thought off in my mind here. What was the promise God made to Abraham? It was that Abraham's descendants would be multitudinous. And Abraham manages to achieve that through one son of promise. And that one son of promise, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Mm. The multiplication isn't working very well. The becoming as prolific as the sands on the on the beach isn't working. Isn't it weird that it's here in the story that that aspect of the promise to Abraham's family really starts to be fulfilled in earnest right at the point where it's be the mechanism by which it's being fulfilled is this bizarre competition of childbearing. <laughs> Everywhere in this story, um, you, yeah. you can't possibly say that there's a positive dynamic here within this family. In this story, he just wanders in from the fields and Leah says, oh, by the way, you're sleeping with me tonight because I have purchased you from my sister. And he's like, oh, mm. okay. Um, like, I, I, there's, this, is, this is not, you know, yeah. what you would use to promote uh, family values. Yes, and... Indeed. And how many of the uh, tribes of Israel came from, well, all of them came from this competition, as we've said, but how many came specifically from the two maids? You you know the number, Cam, I think. Yeah, I think it's four of the sons, which would be a third of the 12. Hmm. And these, these, these four tribes are not considered inferior to the others. Mm. in any way um, because of the, you know, not taking into account future events, but because of their lineage, 
they're not considered inferior. Right? They're considered equal sons of. And Jacob. the competition between brothers is between the children in inverted commas of of Leah. Oh no, they are children. The children aren't in inverted commas. The obvious in inverted commas. Um, it's Leah's children and Rachel's children. Um, yeah. It's not between the children yes. of the wives and the children of the maidservants. Mm. Which is a change to the dynamic from, of, say, um, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael. Yeah. yeah. Hey, picking up on this idea of family values, the, the values of this particular family is something that we have, in fact, explored. And, and we've talked um, in recent episodes and in past seasons about the dynamic between Jacob and Esau, these, these sons of Isaac. And I think it would be absolutely um, impossible to miss some of the, the echoes and resonances here. So what Jacob's name meant, him that, that basically trickster, He's mm. he's grasping the heel, tricking and deceiving his brother in competition with his brother. That's the name he gets from the womb. Um, here we see in this story, Rachel and Leah, they're sisters. They're the wives of Jacob, the trickster, and they are grasping at each other's heels. They're competing mm. and, and um, in tension with each other. Back in the story of Jacob and yes. Esau, there was this. There was that that really amazing anecdote, which does get told much more frequently uh, in church of Esau selling his birthright for a pot of lentils. Here, there is a similar economic transaction for privilege because mm. Rachel really wants some of these mandrakes and Leah replies, you know, will you steal them? And Rachel says, well, I'll, 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 the, here's the trade. And actually, mandrakes, I'm not an expert on this, I believe mandrakes are a plant which are... Um, culturally associated with fertility so so the reason rachel wants these mandrakes so desperately is because they will help her get pregnant um and so mm. there's a, it's 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 the stakes are as high as when esau is selling his birthright for for the lentils and and so yeah. you've got and then you've got this favoritism in uh, jacob and esau one was the favorite of his mother one was the favorite of his father and here we've now got poor old jacob the trickster the person who has suffered through favoritism is now exerting favoritism on his wives which flows into the next generation mm. through his children this is really messed up in a deep way but i think part of what the narrative is telling us is just reinforcing these key themes mm. of deception um, and, and competition that, that have been already well introduced to us. Yeah, and um, I'm wondering if we need to move to the later chapters where Joseph's story, Just before we do. You know, quote unquote, starts. Although, as we can see, it, it, it doesn't start, it doesn't really start there. And we, we skip out a lot of important context yeah. if we just begin with, you know, the code of Just Metcalf. before we jump across, Luke, um, and this will be a good segue, who is it who finds the Mandrax? Hmm. Yeah, Reuben. It's, it's so the, Reuben, ki the kids. Yeah, Leah's oldest son. So, so if this is mm. if this is at, they're also participating the, in this. The brothers, the the older sons, are participating in this. You know, as as like support. They're the well, they're the support staff for the competitive childbearing competition. Yeah. Yes. So, Cam, I wasn't going to suggest that we skip over to the other chapters. I was going to suggest we just pick up a couple of key highlights from intervening chapters as we go through. Hmm. Um, and I can do that for Please us now, do. if yeah. you want. Um, so, as you might recall, the reason Jacob has two wives is because Laban deceived him. Um, in 31, 
Rachel, who is Laban's younger daughter, steals from Laban. Um, in Genesis 32, we have, um, uh, you know, the whole Jacob wrestling with God because he's scared of Esau. In Genesis 33, Jacob divides his household into two parts. And keeps... Um, he divided the children... He keeps Rachel with him. He keeps, yes, Rachel and Joseph in the safest place. Um, but he divides them among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, not even named here, but I assume it's it's uh, the two from 30. Um, but yes, uh, he, he keeps Rachel and Joseph in the safest uh, place. Then 34, we've talked about, uh, that's what happens with Dinah. And then 35, God blesses Jacob and names him uh, Israel, is it? Yes. Which is all... Names also, in that also happens in the chapter with the wrestling. Yes. Um, yes, it happens in two places. Um, then 36 is about Esau's family, and it's like a side note. Um, in 37, we have the start of the story of Joseph. So just constant sort of deception and favorite. Like this this story is is pretty consistent in its portrayal of these people and how they weren't very good to each other. Yeah. And it was at the second half of chapter 35 where um, Rachel dies in childbirth when Benjamin is born. And yes. actually it's at that point in the story that Isaac dies as well. So the, the you were commenting on Joseph being alive already at the time of the story of Dina that we looked at last week. But what's also interesting to think the other way around, Isaac has been mm. alive and watching Isaac's all watching this. all this and going, oh my goodness, <laughs> dooly, dooly. these kids. Uh. Well, Isaac would have been the patron. We've commented before that Isaac's pretty useless in terms of doing anything in the story. But he would have been, was, was Jacob living near Isaac? Because Isaac would have been the patriarch. In the, I would imagine under that culture, Isaac's word would have, Mind you, Isaac was already old when Jacob ran away, yeah. so he's probably there is something. Yeah, a bit I fishy. think they were not together <laughs> because twenty-seven says that Jacob came to his father Isaac at mm. at, at uh, Hebron um, and was with him when he died. But so the implication there being mm. that they weren't they were Isaac was somewhere else. I think that we actually need to be a little cautious of reading too much into some of these sequence elements because. Remember, right back, the reason Jacob runs away is to escape the wrath of Esau because he's stolen Esau's blessing, which was given because Isaac, their father, thought he was on death's door. Now, mm. he, either either he was really, really wrong because he's obviously lived for decades longer, or mm. in the in the in the story somehow the sequencing has been a little messed up. We have seen other elements uh, in in Genesis where the sequencing mm. of things seems to be yeah. less of a priority for the author than than the elements of the story. Yes, and it could be the case, although. Yes, you, you're quite right. So uh, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> about how it's. It does still seem pretty clear that Isaac dies after Rachel, which means he has to have died after Benjamin was born. Which means he has to have died after all of the intervening events, because Benjamin wasn't born until after the reconciliation with Esau hmm. and the circumstances of of Dinah and her brothers. But that could be completely wrong. Mm. It's just the order that the information is presented to the reader. And it could be that they've decided to end the chapter with the death of Isaac mm. and Esau and Jacob burying him. 
Interesting that Easton and Jacob bury him. Together. Yeah, well, this is mm. this is what I was going to say. Lovely, is the story has been one of deception, but it's also been one of making peace. So there's a long and torturous road for for Jacob and Esau to make peace with each other, but it happens. Um, there, uh, um, Isaac and Ishmael make peace. It is inferred in the story mm. because they bury their father together, and um, Isaac is in fact living in the place where. Ishmael lives when Rachel mm, arrives. Mm. So there's some suggestion. And, of course, the reconciliation of Joseph and his brothers is made super explicit. You absolutely can't escape it. So, the, yes. so there are, in yeah. fact, well, two and, narratives and happening. That... And, and we, we really like the stories that feature in the kids' Bible stories, and we avoid stories like this chapter we've read in Genesis. Um, and the reason we avoid it seems to be uh, is largely because I, I think we it's too much of it's uncomfortable and we're not quite sure where it's leading. And mm. God doesn't step in and say... But you know what, Cam? I'm, uh, yeah. God doesn't step in and say what he thinks about what's going on. And what the characters think mm. God thinks, I'm not fully, I don't fully agree. I'm not sure if God rewarded Leah for giving her servant to Jacob. That just seems a weird thing. Well, <laughs> Well, to be clear, even in the narrative that is a statement ascribed to Leah, it is not the narrator saying God True. rewarded mm. Leah. It's Leah saying God has rewarded me. The narrator only says that God, in, in, in 29, he says that God gave Leah sons. And then in 30, he says that God gave Rachel sons. And then God gave, well, no, he says God gave Leah more sons. And then he says God gave Rachel a son. So God only does the giving of sons. Uh, whether or not it is a and in 29 it says that it's implied anyway that God felt sorry for Lee but aside, you're talking about God's motives aside from that um, what God thinks about everything and why God does what he does is not stated by the narrator the participants in the story have their opinions which they express but I think it's notable that 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 the the, the the opinions of the characters and the opinion and the statements of the narrator are, are quite distinct. Mm. There's no confusion yeah. between them. Um, and, and I think it is a common failing in Bible stories that we read what the characters said as though that is truth. We have to keep in mind, I think, that what the biblical truth is, is that the characters said that. Mm. The biblical truth is not that the characters were right yeah. because there's plenty of instances in the Bible of characters being wrong. So we know that characters in the Bible can be wrong. Yeah, I think that's there's no disputing really, that. That's a really valuable thing to be remembering. Um, um, I, but what I was going to say is just a, just a quick comment on this whole, there's a whole bunch of this story that we leave out. I think we do ourselves a great disservice when I'm, I'm already thinking now, and I don't want to jump ahead too much because we're going to get to it, but... The reconciliation of Joseph with his brothers is much more poignant in the context of Genesis 30 and 34 and 32 and 33 and all of the other stuff and 31 and all the other stuff that happened, mm. you know, knowing how dysfunctional that family was makes the, the point that they come to in the end much more meaningful, I think. Yeah. Rather than just starting at 37 and going, Joseph's story is from Genesis 37. Mm. Um, that cuts out a lot of context and meaningful context, I think. Yeah. 
I, I think so as well. And I wonder something else that we, we've zoomed in on the story of Joseph's birth today, which means that we really haven't had much of an exploration of, of his character or his personality. We've heard him chalked up as one of the runs on the scoreboard, right? In this, in this yeah. competition of having children. Um, jo- uh, the first we really meet Joseph as a person and as a personality and as a character in this story is in Genesis 37. And we don't have to, time to go into detail, but it's the famous story of him, him having the dreams and telling his brothers, hey, I had this dream, you know, I was in the field and all your bundles of grain bowed down to mine. I wonder what that would mean. Well, of course, I wonder what it would mean after, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it, there's nothing subtle, is there? There's nothing subtle. And I wonder to myself, Joseph becomes a real genuine hero in this story. He, he has some moments of just outstanding uprightness in Egypt. He has a, um, you know, sort of a glowing aura throughout, throughout this story. But I wonder whether what we need to be open to is reading the development and growth of Joseph too. He might not start out as this mm. angelic heroic figure. And actually, it could, could it be that some of the trials he goes through in, in the story as it unfolds uh, are the, those points, those opportunities where the, that's, that's what makes him who he is? Because it does seem to me that he is a little bit of a... I don't know. Oh, Tease. There's two, uh, thi- uh, there's two there's three things we can get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three things we can learn from Joseph from verses 1 to 11 of 37. One is that he's a snitch. Yeah. <laughs> two is that he's uh, spoiled. And three is that he has he has no shame. <laughs> he's just like, I had this dream yeah, about yeah, how yeah. great I am. I should tell and him. And we know he's spoiled. <laughs> we know he's spoiled, not because the coat had many colors, because I don't think that detail's in there. Um, but the, it does say that the coat had long sleeves. And if you have long sleeves, mm. you're not going to be asked to do any of the dirty work. Uh, so you're not, you're, it uh, actually does say robe of many colours. Well, mine just says yeah. a beautiful robe. A beautiful robe. robe. I, I'm in ESV. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. mate, there's some, it was good to look at. Anyway, if it, it, I mean, the point stands, Cam. If it's beautiful, you're also not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's a fancy coat. Get yeah. the, um, yeah. Is it possible that... The home environment was so toxic, um, it was necessary for Joseph to be removed from it for him to grow in character. Oh, oh, oh. Mm. oh well, that's a very interesting thought. That is interesting. What if there was yeah. what if there really genuinely was a sense in which Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery was what God wanted? Because Joseph says that at the end of the well, story. I mean I, I yeah. I think it's one of the clearer examples of that because not just for the sequence of events, but as you say, for the, the growth of character. Yeah. Because let's say that Joseph went straight from who he is in uh, verse, you know, 11 mm-hmm. um, or verse 8, you know, or verse mm. uh, 2. <laughs> um, let's say he went straight from that to a position as the second most powerful person in Egypt. Do you think he would have done a good job? Yeah. Well, there's a separate issue here, Luke, about whether he did in fact do, do a good job. He did a very good job of of rescuing a, an entire nation um, in the process of which he effectively orchestrated the transition of the entire Egyptian nation into one of, servi- uh, of official servitude to Pharaoh. 
They, Pharaoh owned them. They sold themselves. Mass, mass slavery was mm. was a thing that happened under Joseph. Um, yes, and we could have a very interesting debate on whether or not mass slavery is is morally preferable to mass starvation. Well, let's post. <laughs> yeah. Let's postpone that one for next let's week. Do that next week. Yeah, we've got a couple of things. I propose that next week, let's pick up the story of Joseph while he's in Egypt. Um, yeah. Yes, and then. The following yeah. week, and I think I think we can jump that because everybody knows yeah. the story of how we got yeah. to Egypt. It's that that's the bit of the story yeah. we don't need to read. And then on in our final week, we're going to come back and look at the story of Judah and Tamar, which is a real turning point in the story. And we may resurrect from the archives the previous discussion to include in there with some valuable points that I think will help sum up the the book of Genesis. The question that I have, and this is one that we've talked about before, but not for a very long time. Um, this story, there's favourites. Um, Isaac likes Esau, but Rachel loved Jacob. And Jake, that favouritism festers in that home and tears it apart, and Jacob escapes. And Jacob is himself deceived, ends up with two wives, has favourites. There's then favourite mm. sons. This is really toxic. Isn't, isn't the story of the nation of Israel a story... In which God has favourites. Yeah. <laughs> or is it? I thought you were going to land that somewhere else, Cam. So well done. Um, <laughs> the because it seems to me that one of the things could it be that highlighting these details in the family dynamic over a number of generations is trying to caution us against that reading of Genesis? Isn't it? Isn't it possible? Because it's out of almost necessity god is kind of saying okay i'm going to i'm going to tell you your story he's talking to a group of people and he's saying i'm going to tell you your story but for goodness sake remember that i'm also blessing the world notice melchizedek notice that in abraham's descendants all the world will be blessed notice that the reason i'm blessing you notice, is notice the so treatment that... of I notice the treatment of ishmael and esau yeah yes ishmael receives the covenant promise just like isaac does really in in many ways could it be that this that this repeated highlighting of the negative consequences, the destructive power of favoritism, is God trying to say, hey, in Genesis, I'm telling you your story, people of Abraham, but don't fall into the trap of thinking that I'm telling you your story because you're my favorite. Well, one, one element of that that's an interesting sort of postscript is um, Isaac is the not even the favorite of his parents necessarily certainly of Sarah's okay well that's complicated but he's the child of promise and the the line through which the whole world is blessed as we understand through Christ and uh, Jacob the child of promise through whom the whole world is blessed Joseph the perhaps less child of promise but a long-awaited child certainly the preferred child certainly the messianic figure within the story who is most used by God the, of all the brothers the one most in tune with God is Joseph that comes out pretty clear but he is not the son through whom the whole world is blessed Judah is the son and he's the villain of the story right. yes so yes. certainly as the story progresses and and there's an interesting element to this too um, uh, Jacob when he blesses Joseph's sons, crosses his hand and gives the 
eldest blessing to the youngest child. Um, that happens at the end. But that, oh, okay. then there is some statement after that Well, I, where God says, all right, I've had enough. We're just going to give the oldest child the blessing and, you know, for the oldest child. And there's some. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say, and this is probably more a comment for actually off the podcast, but we, sh- we need to spend at least some time in the context of one of these three episodes that remain on this topic talking about the blessing that Jacob gives his sons mm. at his death, which obviously comes at the end mm. of the story of Joseph. Um, we, I think we talked about it off podcast at the end of last episode because it's... It was included a bit. 34 is referenced in his blessings or lack thereof. Mm. Yeah, we did include Ken's We included that in the edit. That, uh, specifically of Simeon yeah. and... and yeah, Levi. oh, good. Um yeah, but we, we should we should come back to that a bit more because the, this idea of blessing sons uh, oh. is an interesting one. And I've actually got a really interesting thought about Judah and his blessing from Jacob. We need to revisit these. I'm going to call time and say um, for two reasons. One is that it is time and second is that my phone's got 3% of battery. So uh, if I do not wrap this up soon, I'll, I might lose the chance. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed this discussion heaps more to discuss next week so join us again next week and the week after and uh we think we might have kept some of the best ideas for last um and certainly i am finding this journey through genesis is leading in directions i had not anticipated uh feel free to share this podcast with any of your friends uh, and anyone who you feel would benefit and um you can email us with any thoughts or comments at sabbath school from home at gmail.com thank you so much for listening